0: You all look great. The end of the republic has never looked better.
1: That'd be even funnier if it wasn't quite so true. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got a feeling
2: that something right. Noting. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Joe, to the right here I am stuck in the middle with you yes, I'm stuck in
1: the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles is this I is the broadcast as it's heard right, on 90.7 FM in LA up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM KSO in Cozy Cottage Grove out in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster. Out in Hawaii on 88.5 FM, KAKU, the voice of Maui. Out in Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM, Columbus in the Buckeye State. And up in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950, KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And of course, streaming coast to coast and around the globe. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free, Brooklyn, GDPR, Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, and yes, five days a week, blanketing planet Earth on Radio Sputnik. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. All around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for another thrilling, action-packed adventure that we call The Bradcast. Yes, we are your radio home companion. Glad you could join us today. My thanks to Danielle and Shano for filling in for us on our last thrilling episode. Uh, Greatly appreciated, Danielle and Shano. Thank you very much for allowing us the time to travel to Washington, D.C., to attend the White House Correspondents' Dinner. over the weekend. Why why uh, are you laughing, Desi Doyen? Oh, you know,
2: it's, oh we, we, we only traveled virtually, I guess you could yeah. say, via the television too Yes, well,
1: that's right. Uh, we did not, of course, get invited to the White House Correspondents Dinner. We never do. No, we never do. Well, don't say it like you want to be there. I, if I was <laughs> invited, I don't know that I would really go. That is, of course, for those people who aren't familiar with the White House Correspondents Dinner, that would be the annual Shameful display of corporate media bigwigs back uh, backslapping each other and hanging out with uh, with celebrities and with the elected officials that they are supposed to be adversarially covering. Good luck with that, uh, because, you know, of course, they're all buddy buddy at the uh, at the White House Correspondents Dinner, which should really more properly be called the White House Corporate Media Dinner, perhaps. Would I that agree be the right way to uh, to put it. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, we were not, uh, we were not invited again. I don't know why those, uh, those media outlets, you know, that do get invited, that are there, the, the, the CNNs, the MSNB, the Fox, the CB, I don't need to tell you who they are. Uh, you know, they should have to ask for contributions to stay in business on a donate page like us, bradblog.com slash donate Uh, And then we would see who it is that they decide they need to be more responsive to, to their readers and listeners and viewers that they are supposed to be helping to uh, educate or to their ad funders at Citibank and ExxonMobil and all of the rest uh, who, who frankly, pay them, uh, you know, pay their freight to keep them in business. Not the readers, not the listeners, not the viewers. Frankly, they don't seem to give a damn about them. Uh, in any event, uh, my thanks to Danielle and Shano. You guys were great. Great to have you here. Uh, and, and maybe a bit from Obama's remarks from that dinner uh, a little bit later in the program, uh, because frankly, he, uh, as much as I criticize the White House Correspondents' Dinner itself, uh, Barack Obama is really good at them. He's really funny. He's, yeah, he's I mean, good. Say what you will about him as a president, uh his his deadpan delivery, he does great at these events. I don't know who writes his material, but it's very good. And uh, this was his eighth and last as president of the United States. So hopefully we'll uh we'll share a little bit of that with you later on in the program if you uh, if you missed it. Some of those highlights. Um speaking of laughs, so last week we talked about John Boehner uh, criticizing Ted Cruz. Saying I would that, say
2: letting loose,
1: letting loose just a little, <laughs> saying that he was going to uh, he was going to support Donald Trump. John Boehner, of course, the former U.S. House Speaker, run out of dodge by the Tea Partiers, by Tea Partiers like Ted Cruz. So Boehner was asked his uh, his opinion about the 2016 election. Uh, said he would be supporting Donald Trump and uh, compared directly compared Ted Cruz to Lucifer. Himself, Lucifer in the Flesh, I think he called him. Went on to call him a son of a bitch or something like that, but um, so he compared him to the devil, compared him to Satan. Well, now, high profile Satanists are offended by that. They are rejecting former House Speaker John Boehner's suggestion that Ted Cruz is Lucifer in the flesh. That's an
2: insult to Satan.
1: Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> that's what they. That's how they feel, that, highlighting the fact that even bona fide devil worshipers want nothing to do with the Texas senator. ABC News uh, talked to Church of Satan high priest, uh, what's his name here, Magus Peter Howard Gilmore. Uh, who, well, actually, he announced in a statement that, uh, quote, having a conservative Christian likened to Lucifer, One who opposes equal rights for same-sex couples and promotes the ability to deny services to any with different values, we Satanists see as besmirching the positive, heroic aspects of the character as portrayed by Milton in his uh, uh, Paradise Lost. Hmm. Lucienne Greaves, founder of the Satanic Temple, echoed that sentiment to, uh, to ABC, remarking that Boehner's comparison was thoughtless and ignorant. And that Christians can't just push Cruz off on Satanists. So
2: We don't want him either. (laughs) Don't
1: don't blame the Satanists for Ted Cruz. Uh, Lucienne Greaves uh, went on to say that uh, Boehner is trying to say uh, that uh, Ted Cruz is some type of embodiment of evil. I think that's a rather destructive backward mindset, because when you take clearly Christian individuals, clearly Christian activities like Ted Cruz espouses, and things go sour, you pass them off as the influence of Satan. And she says that's not fair. So uh, who do devil worshippers support in this cycle? Ask New York Magazine. Are they feeling the burn, perhaps? Why do they go to that? Why, is it, why do they, are they feeling the burn? Why does New York Magazine immediately go to Bernie Sanders? Why not uh, Donald Trump? I mean, he's orange, for Christ's sake. He looks more like... <laughs> According to High Priest Gilmore, Satanists haven't indicated any collective support for any specific politicians, but it seems more clear, more than clear, that Cruz is quite understandably at the very bottom of their wish list. So there you go. Uh, even, <laughs> even the Satanists can't uh, agree on uh, who to vote for in the Republican Party this year. All right. Uh, so that's amusing. Less amusing is what we covered at the beginning of last week. Uh, Last week, I think it was on Monday, uh, I had covered, I think it was five or six different mass shootings, all of which occurred over the weekend here in these United States. I think I called them here in these locked and loaded states of America because that is what we are. And in fact, there was one mass shooting after another. Starting with this one in uh, this horrible incident in uh, in Ohio, I think, Pikeston, Ohio, um, where uh, eight different members of the same family were killed in three different houses. And we still don't know uh, who who was behind that shooting. So that but that was just one shooting that got some attention. What didn't get shooting uh, what what didn't get attention was the shooting uh, at the Walmart in Chandler, Arizona, and uh, a shooting at a I think it was a prom in Alabama. And there was just one mass shooting after another uh, that have just become so commonplace in, in the United States that we don't even cover them anymore. They just don't mean anything. Uh, they just don't. They don't make a blip in in our corporate media, largely because you know they're they're busy backslapping and uh, having fun at uh, White House correspondence dinners with these same people who are supposed to be voting on whether we should do something about this. Now, mind you, I've not come out and said, oh, we need to ban guns. I'm not a big anti-gun guy. What I am is a big pro-democracy guy. And it seems to me that when you have incidents like this, one after another after another, and lawmakers, some lawmakers, at least on the Democratic side of the aisle, are trying to do something about it. They think we should close the background loophole uh, that allows people to, to, to buy guns, all the guns that they like, essentially, at a gun show. Uh, and sell them to other people. They think that the uh, the amount of of ammunition that people are able to buy. Remember the guy in uh, in Colorado at the at the Batman movie. He had he had bought thousands and thousands of rounds of ammunition that was delivered to his house by FedEx. He bought it over the internet. Never had to pass any kind of background check or anything else. So there have been a number of efforts to try to do something about that at the federal level. There are. Uh, more efforts going on in in local areas. We may talk about one later this week out here in California. But at the federal level, it's not that these efforts have been rejected by lawmakers. It's that Republicans will not even allow them to come up for a vote in the U.S. Senate. Never mind the U.S. House. Forget about that. Controlled by uh, Republicans, they're not going to let anything come up. But in the Senate, also controlled by Republicans, but uh, bring it forward. Bring it forward. And if uh, the American people and their representatives stand for freedom and liberty and want every, you know, citizen in America to have a gun, great. Stand up and vote for it. Have a gun, every citizen and no background checks at gun shows and get rid of the background checks altogether if you want. But stand up and vote for that. Don't hide and cower and, and, and not even allow a vote to happen. Of course, the Republicans know that a vote, if a vote does happen in the U.S. Senate, that the the majority would likely vote to uh, to shore up these gun laws. Because the fact of the matter is the American people want them to shore up these gun laws, including members of the NRA, the National Rifle Association, the terrorist loving National Rifle Association. I think the last poll showed that 72 percent like uh, of members of the NRA would like to close that gun show loophole. But no, they're not, we're not even allowed to vote on it in, uh, in our great esteemed U.S. Senate. Can't even have a vote. Can't even have a debate. Can't even have a vote. But I've digressed. Uh, I had mentioned last week all of these, uh, one shooting, one mass shooting after another after another. That didn't even make the news. Well, writing last Friday at Vice, Mark Hay uh, noticed uh, because they are tracking these mass shootings. They have been tracking them in America uh, so far in 2016, and they've been comparing them with numbers in Europe. And uh, writing last Friday, uh, Mark Hay says since last Friday morning, so that was a week ago Friday, America has endured 13 mass shootings that left 15 people dead and 44 more injured. The attacks that previous weekend brought the U.S. mass shooting toll in 2016 up to 91 incidents in 2016 with 99 dead And three hundred and thirty two injured. Europe, meanwhile, had suffered just one mass shooting in that same week, the first on the continent since the attacks on April 2 in Marseille, France. The new shooting came last Friday night in Naples, Italy. Uh, were an alleged hit by the notorious Camorra Crime Syndicate on a neighborhood crime family, killed two and injured three. That brazen incident brought the continents, the entire European continent's death toll in such attacks uh, so far this year to 14 incidents, 13 dead and 55 injured. We had more shootings, more mass shootings in the previous week, over the past week in the U.S., than all of Europe in the entire year of 2016 to date. More mass shootings in one week than all of Europe in 2016. Uh, Just amazing to me. And yet it doesn't come up. We don't discuss it. We don't debate it. Rarely comes up at presidential debates at all. Uh, Just remarkable to me. And uh, and you know what? Nobody's paying a price for it. So the NRA, uh, they're paying a price. They're they're literally paying the cost of these uh, Republican politicians for their for their uh, candidacies all around the country. And they are getting their money's worth. By breaking an already broken Congress and uh, that is not even allowed to vote, not even allowed to vote on that. It's it's just remarkable.
2: And. And the window has moved so much mm-hmm. that we don't talk about it. It's no, no longer, as you noted, noted by the media. Yeah. The media like, oh, yeah, wow, that was really bad, yeah. that, that horrible shooting in Ohio. And, oh, there were a couple of others. Okay, so what did Trump say next?
1: Exactly. And there were some, by the way, that I covered about five of them. There was more. Here's one of them that Vice mentioned that I didn't even mention uh, on last week's program. An attack on, uh, let's see, this was Monday uh, in the crowded Music City Central bus terminal in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, where we have, uh, I know we've got listeners out there, that drew some attention in Nashville. And by the way, all of the states uh, that I mentioned where these mass shootings took place, all of them were, of course, the freedom states, the uh, right-wing, Republican-controlled states around the country. We had Ohio, we had Tennessee, Alabama, uh, Arizona, uh, Georgia, I think, was one of them. Uh, Every single one of them. But you know what? That's freedom. That's liberty. (sighs) And uh, good luck doing anything about it. Speaking of doing something about it, we're going to take a quick break and talk about how the American people are trying to do something about it, trying and trying like hell to make their voices heard at the ballot box Uh, and on Tuesday in Indiana on both the Republican and the Democratic side where we will be having yet another big primary election could be make or break. Once again, on both the Republican and the Democratic side, more on that and the American fight to continue voting or to try to vote or to try to get their votes counted. All of that is ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Thank you for listening. Please stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so, now more than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going, or even just a one-time only contribution.
2: You say you want a
1: revolution? Well, you know. Well, you know. Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Yes, the Bernie Sanders supporters are still hoping for that political revolution, whether it comes this cycle, this presidential cycle, or maybe uh, or perhaps more likely in cycles in the future. The um, the uh, on, on real time with Bill Maher over the weekend, uh, Bill Maher and who is it? Rob Reiner. We're talking about the election. Rob Reiner, of course, big. Democratic uh, establishment guy puts a lot of money into, you know, for for Democrats and so forth. Big liberal. Uh, he seemed to be gleeful, gleeful about the idea of the uh, Donald Trump, not presidency, but the uh, nomination about Donald Trump winning the, uh, the Republican nomination, which is looking more and more certain as we look forward uh, to the uh, to Tuesday's race in Indiana, the primary race where John Kasich has essentially pulled out to allow Ted Cruz to try to make a dent in uh, in Donald Trump, to try to keep Donald Trump from uh, getting the 1,237 delegates that he would need, that Trump would need to win the nomination on the first ballot in Cleveland this summer. Uh, In July at the Republican convention, Uh, not going so well right now. Gravis poll showing uh, Trump up by 17 over Cruz, NBC, Marist, Wall Street Journal poll showing Trump up by 15. So it's not going that well. It does look like Republicans, uh, Donald Trump is going to get the nomination for the Republican Party and there is little to stop him. So uh, Rob Reiner, he was just delighted about that idea. Bill Maher, in this case, not so delighted. And he gave his reasons as the two of them had it out on uh, on HBO on Friday.
0: We're going to make a little bet. We're going to make a little bet and we're going to have dinner. You uh, say uh, she's a oh. weak candidate. And I'm sitting here telling you uh, well, that if it's her and Donald Trump, it's going to be a landslide. I, OK, yes. now, now that land- is a very oh. dangerous thing to say. It, I know. Oh I I would agree. Well, Why is it, it dangerous? Because I'm going to lose Because it they'll still it. F-ing stay home now. No, 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 no. They're going to come it's, out. You know what? It is not going to be a landslide. Anything can happen in this stupid country. Landslide. The voters are ignorant. You need to come out. Don't think it's going to be a no, landslide. no, no. They're going to come out. No, they won't. They're going to come out because Donald Trump is going to be on
1: the Donald, top of yep, the other ticket. So that was uh, Bill Maher and, and uh, Rob Reiner, meathead having it out on HBO a couple of points Uh, one uh, I agree I I don't these people, these Democrats who think that's going to be a landslide because Donald Trump is on the ticket. Look, I'm the guy who told you the day he got into the race back when everyone else was saying it was a joke and that he was never going to succeed or that he was never he was not serious about running for the nomination. I told you that he was perfectly matched up with today's Republican Party, with the id of the Republican brain at this point that has been uh, so distorted by non-facts and Fox News after a decade or two of the nonsense that they have been spewed every day by right-wing talk radio, by the fact-free nonsense, that they will go for Donald Trump. And in fact, they did go for Donald Trump. And, that, and Donald Trump's run was very real indeed. And now I'm telling you, so I was right about that, and now I'm telling you, for those of you who think it will be a landslide, uh, again, Be careful what you wish for, because uh, I believe he's going to be able to make a real dent in Hillary Clinton if she becomes the nominee as opposed to Bernie Sanders. And I also know how the electoral system works and I know how they can game These systems in county after county, state after state, and there's not a damn thing that voters can do about it for the most part after it has occurred. And we have seen these problems come up time and time again over the years and in this uh, primary cycle. So uh, landslide, gleeful Democrats, uh, don't be stupid. Listen to Bill Maher, at least on that point. Whether people will stay home, uh, or not, and 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 you know whether we shouldn't tell them the truth, whether Rob Reiner shouldn't give his opinion because uh, that might lead people to stay home. That's equally dumb. Say what you want, offer your own opinions. Uh, you know, I I don't like this idea of, of tricking Democrats into thinking they should turn out. I also don't agree with Bill Maher that voters are, well, okay. He called. He what do you say? Voters are ignorant. He said
2: that, you know, with this stupid country.
1: Well, and yeah, so I don't I don't agree that we have a stupid country. Uh, If voters are ignorant, it's not because they're stupid. It's because they're ill-informed by a terrible, horrible, corrupt corporate media in this country. Um, So, you know what? Inform the voters rather than call them uh, stupid. At least that's my opinion. In the meantime, as we look towards Indiana on Tuesday... And beyond as we look towards November and the American uh, public trying to trying to be able to cast their vote with the media fixated, of course, on the horse race. We here continue to look at the track conditions on which those horses are running, because even a great thoroughbred runs on a muddy track uh, may very well may lose as far as the horse race goes. Uh, I already mentioned Donald Trump is up in Indiana now Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. She has been up for a while uh, in Indiana, but now her lead is is shrinking. Uh, NBC Wall Street Journal Maris shows Clinton up just four points over Bernie Sanders in Indiana. Uh, another poll just before that showed her up eight points, another five. So a real clear politics put this puts this at uh, about a seven point spread. In the, uh, in the great state of Indiana, which was the first state in the Union to institute photo ID restrictions on their voters. So uh, who knows how many voters won't be able to cast their vote in Indiana because of these laws, and we've got some, uh, some news on that momentarily in regards to Texas. Um, I'll get to that shortly. In the meantime, uh, Sanders is still predicting for the Democrats that there will be a contested convention. Really? He told uh, uh, The Hill, uh, well, actually, I guess he was speaking at a a news conference in Washington that was reported at The Hill. He said that there would still be a contested convention. He feels that uh, Hillary Clinton will not get enough delegates to take her over the top on, uh, on her own. That she can't win a majority without the superdelegates, without the insiders, uh, the party, uh, the elected officials, the party insiders, the lobbyists and so forth that have been given a special vote by the Democratic Party. That's the way the Democrats do it. So he says, uh, Bernie Sanders says, she will need superdelegates to take her over the top. The convention will be a contested uh, contested convention, he says. Contested contest. The... um, There are 10 states remaining, Bernie Sanders says, where we are going to be vigorously competing, plus the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, Virgin Islands and Guam. So we will see. But um, that's why every vote matters, not just in the primary election, but every vote will matter this November. And we will continue to pay attention to the things that affect the ability of voters to simply cast their vote. No matter who it is for, no matter if it is for Donald Trump or Ted Cruz, Satan himself.
2: Is Satan on the ballot?
1: No offense to Satan. Oh, too bad. No offense. But, um, yeah, so uh, last week we talked about Virginia and Governor Terry McAuliffe, who had announced that uh, more than 200,000 convicted felons— would be able to uh, to register if they wanted to vote uh, 200,000 uh, 200, convicted felons who had served their time, who had been released from jail, from prison, who had also finished their parole. Uh, their you know any uh, the, uh, parole or probate whatever probation requirements they might have had after being released they finished their supervised release all of that they are done paying the price for to society they should be allowed to vote to register and vote if they want to. And via an executive order, he announced that he was going to allow that to happen. Virginia was one of the states, along with Iowa, Kentucky and Florida, which removed voting rights for felons for life unless a state official somehow restores them. And Terry McAuliffe restored them to some 200,000 convicted felons in one fell swoop in Virginia last week. Now, Republicans who believe in freedom... You would think they might be uh, celebrating this, uh, who, who pretend to believe in democracy, who pretend to be willing to kill millions of people around the world in order to spread their democracy across the globe. Well, they are not celebrating what Terry McAuliffe did, a governor, Democratic governor of Virginia last week. Uh, they have now hired an attorney. They say they plan to contest the governor's executive order, restoring those rights of felons to vote. And by the way, it doesn't only restore their right of felons to vote, it allows them to run for office. It allows them to sit on a jury. All of those things that they could not do before. Uh, So you would think this would be a good thing? No, not to Republicans, because they feel that this is going to add a lot of Democrats to the rolls. And it might. But I say good, not because they're Democrats. But because in a democracy, at least in a representative democracy, a republic as we have, everyone ought to be able to participate, including those who are most affected by the laws such as those people uh, who are felons, including, by the way, those people in jail for felonies right now, those people, the thousands of uh, Americans who are facing uh, time in jail, years in jail for things uh, like drug convictions that aren't even crimes anymore in many states. Yes, they should have a vote in our democracy, too. Republican lawmakers argue that the uh, governor in Virginia overstepped his constitutional authority, and that it was a clear political ploy designed to help his friend and Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton in the important swing state of, no, of uh, Virginia this November. So uh, McCullough, for his part, said the people who have served their time should be given a second chance to exercise their civic duties. And he said that he is certain he has the authority to allow this to happen after consulting with both legal and constitutional experts, including Virginia Attorney General Mark Herring, who is also a Democrat. Sent name ring a bell to you, Desi Doyen? Mark Herring? No. Okay. We covered him in great detail. Was it in uh, the uh, autumn, the fall of 2014, when Mark Herring... Uh, ended up winning the Attorney General post in Virginia by less than 100 votes. I don't even remember wow. what the, what the uh, total ended up being. At one point, it was like 19 votes across Virginia. Every vote mattered. And in fact, in Virginia, you had 100% unverifiable machines across much of the state. Touchscreen machines. Many of those are still in use, by the way. They've pulled out some of them finally in Virginia. But... um But, yeah, elections matter. Elections matter. Every
2: vote matters. Yeah,
1: you're damn right it does. And that fight uh, for the uh, attorney general's race in Virginia back in 2014, where millions of votes were cast and it was decided by just a handful, a few dozen votes. Yes, every vote counts. Every vote counts. So uh, we will see uh, if that uh, order by uh, Terry McAuliffe stands uh, or if the Republicans will be able to take away voting rights once again from Americans. That's what they're trying to do. And that is what they have succeeded in doing in the great state of Texas year after year after year with their photo ID restriction law that was passed down there uh, by Republicans in the state of Texas. We have talked about it many times on this program throughout the years, um, and uh, we've got uh, some news from the Supreme Court now on the, uh, on the Texas photo ID restriction law. But just to reset this all in your brain, that law uh, first passed, I think it was back in 20, uh, 2011, 2010 or 2011 was found was rejected under the old Voting Rights Act before the Supreme Court gutted it. It was uh, rejected. It was found to be purposely disenfranchising to racial minorities, to uh, Hispanics and African-Americans down in Texas by the Department of Justice and by a uh, federal court, by a federal court panel in Washington, D.C. They rejected the law and then the Supreme Court ended up gutting the Voting Rights Act which meant that Texas, immediately within hours after the Supreme Court had gutted the, uh, the, the, the key portion of the Voting Rights Act, which required states like Texas to get preclearance for such laws, and remember they had failed to get preclearance, they were rejected, uh, in, in fact it was found th- by the data supplied by the state of Texas themselves that that photo ID restriction law would disproportionately affect racial minorities by Texas's own data.
2: By some 600,000 people.
1: Well, 600,000 people, 600,000 registered voters stand to be disenfranchised by this law. These are voters who are already registered, who already showed their ID in order to register, because you have to do that under federal law in all 50 states. All 50 states, those 600,000 legally registered voters may not be able to vote this November. Despite the fact that the law was rejected, uh, early on before the uh, Voting Rights Act was gutted, and then even afterwards, even afterwards, uh, a, a, a federal court a, a lawsuit was filed by the DOJ and the uh, ACLU and NAACP, and they won the trial. In fact, the judge found that, yes, this vote, this uh, law would, in fact, keep more people from being able to uh, vote than it could possibly uh, stop fraudulent votes. They, the, the judge in this case, she found that Uh, That it was a violation of the U.S. Constitution, that it was a violation of the Voting Rights Act, even the part that was still standing. And then a conservative appellate court upheld the lower court finding this law to be uh, illegal and unconstitutional. And yet the state of Texas said, OK, maybe it's unlawful and unconstitutional and everything else, but we'd like to appeal it even further. So until we finish with our appeals, appeals, please put a stay on on this court's ruling. And the court did so. And that uh, ruling is now still in place. Uh, the, the, the injunction is still in place, meaning that now we have had election after election under this unlawful law. So it's illegal uh, to do this in the state of Texas, and yet they are allowed to do it anyway. And now, before we get too close to the November election, because the Supreme Court has said in previous uh, cases that you cannot change the rules of the election just before the election, And uh, the the Republicans down in Texas have been slow walking this case, have been taking as much time as they can on their appeals. Uh, So now the challengers to this law have gone to the Supreme Court. They asked for an emergency uh, injunction, essentially. To uh, to to stop uh, allowing this law to be in effect, this law that was found illegal. Well, now the Supreme Court on Friday. Of last week, they refused to block that Texas photo ID law for now. Refused to block it from remaining in effect, but they left open the possibility that they may be uh, willing to do so later this summer if a lower court challenging it uh, remains un- If a lower court challenge, I should say, remains unsolved. Civil rights groups who say the law discriminates against black and Hispanic voters argued that it should be blocked now because it was struck down by a federal court in 2015 and a three judge appeals court panel last year. And that full U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Court has now suddenly said they would hear the case that after after just after uh, Antonin Scalia died at the Supreme Court. The uh, the challengers, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, the state of Texas had asked the uh, Fifth Circuit Court for a uh, hearing six months ago, and the court did absolutely nothing. And then Scalia died. And this very, very conservative, let's call it conservative, right wing Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals said, okay, yeah, we'll hear the case after all. We don't want it to go to the court. We don't want it to go to the Supreme Court, because if it goes there, Since it's been found illegal and unlawful, if the Supreme Court ends up tying four to four now that Scalia is dead, then, in fact, that law will be struck down. So the entire Fifth Circuit Court has said, "Okay, we will hear that case next month. And so the uh, the Supreme Court on Friday in a one paragraph order said that, uh, okay, it can remain in place. This law can remain in place uh, as long as the appellate court hears it and hears it in a timely manner. The justice said that they would reconsider their decision on or after July 20 if the appeals court has not yet decided the case by then. And that that would give state election officials more than three months to prepare for the November elections uh, from July to November. The order said the court recognizes the time constraints the parties confront in light of the scheduled elections in November of 2016. And so uh, there will be a decision one way or another. Can't tell you if it's a good one. Can't tell you if it's bad. Can't tell you if more than 600,000 legally registered voters and more than a million eligible voters in the state of Texas will be able to cast their ballot this This November or not, or if they will be blocked by this law that Republicans have passed that is purposely disenfranchising, can't tell you, don't know. But that's where we are at this point. At least it won't wait up until uh, the very end, as we saw in 2014 in a number of states in Wisconsin and in Texas, uh, I think maybe in North Carolina and elsewhere where the Supreme Court came in and said, no, 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 you can't make that change that close to an election. So, uh, so we will see. so
2: it's not unalloyed. great news. It's basically another opportunity uh,
1: correct to, there,
2: to, to maybe put a stop to this. maybe
1: uh, maybe the Supreme Court has not said no, <laughs> even though uh, we'll see what the appellate court does uh, if they completely overturn it. Previously, an appellate court panel of three judges said, uh, nope uh, this this law is this is unlawful, and it cannot move forward. We will see if the entire Fifth Circuit Court agrees. And then no doubt we will see uh, if they if either way, I suspect it's going to be appealed to the uh, to the U.S. Supreme Court thereafter. In the meantime, that law was only allowed to be enacted thanks to, as I mentioned, the Supreme Court before Scalia died, the Supreme Court gutting the Voting Rights Act. That law did not pass muster under the previous uh, uh, Voting Rights Act, uh, but the key section was gutted by the Supreme Court. And basically, when the Supreme Court gutted this section, what they said was that uh, there's a section that is out of date, that needs to be updated, that it was put in place back in 1965, when the uh, uh, when the voting rights act was first passed and it needs to be updated the list of states that must uh, get their laws cleared before an election that must go through the pre clearance procedure that list is out of date it needs to be updated for the 2000s uh, so they didn't say the pre-clearance can't be used. They just said that the list that was used when it was originally created in 1965, which, by the way, has been updated many times since. And people, uh, states, jurisdictions can get off that uh, that list if they behave themselves for a while. Still, the Supreme Court, by a narrow decision, 5-4, to four, said uh, that section needs to be updated by Congress. Well, of course, the U.S. Congress, controlled by Republicans, does not want to update it at all. And they have not even had any hearings on it in the, uh, in the U.S. Senate on the possibility of upgrading, uh, updating that law. Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee sent a message uh, to the Republicans with a a letter to their counterparts on the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee saying, if you care so much about giving America a voice, give us a hearing on voting rights. Republicans have been pretending that the reason they are not replacing Scalia, that they're not even having hearings on it, is because they want to give America a voice in that decision by waiting until the next president has been elected. Nine Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee sent a letter on Friday to the uh, its Republican leaders. That would be Senator Chuck Grassley, the chair of the Judiciary Committee, and Senator John Cornyn, Republican of Texas. He's the uh, chair of the subcommittee on the Constitution. And, of course, uh, Chuck Grassley and John Cornyn are the ones who are holding up any discussion of Merrick Garland. Uh, Obama's nominee for the Supreme Court, holding up any hearings on him whatsoever. So not only are they holding up hearings on a Supreme Court uh, nominee to, to get back to nine uh, votes on the Supreme Court, they are also not l- holding any hearings whatsoever on fixing the Voting Rights Act, which this that same Supreme Court has dumped in the lap of Congress. It is ironic that Senate Republicans would claim to give the American people a voice, but at the same time allow sweeping voting restrictions to be enacted that would silence many of these Americans, a disproportionate number of whom are minorities. The Senate Democrats letter said the letter noted that when Democrats controlled the committee, then chair Senate Patrick uh, Leahy of Vermont held nine hearings on voting rights in addition to the three voting rights hearings held by the subcommittee on the Constitution, then chaired by Democratic Senator Dick Durbin. However, since taking over the majority last January, the letter notes, Republicans have held no hearings to examine voting rights. Since the Shelby County decision, that's the the Supreme Court decision that gutted the Voting Rights Act, elected officials... In several states have enacted voting laws that disproportionately prevent or discourage minorities from voting, according to the letter, pointing to the Texas photo ID law I just mentioned. The one that has been ruled against in at least two federal courts and also to Alabama's photo ID law, which attracted scrutiny after the state closed many of the DMV offices around the state, which is where you got to go if you want to get a photo ID now to vote in Alabama. And, uh, well, the letter also brought up the chaotic primary elections in Arizona, where a change in its voting system after the Supreme Court decision uh, would uh, that would have needed federal approval. Those changes made in Arizona that led to five hour long lines at some polling place. So, yeah, those Democrats like uh, Rob Reiner, who are so goddamn gleeful about uh, Donald Trump, pay attention. Pay attention to your electoral system in these United States. And that doesn't even begin to talk about the voting machines that we talk about on this show uh, versus almost anywhere else, almost any other program in the country where they just don't talk about these things. These are your track conditions. This is what's happening now in this country as we barrel towards November. So Rob Reiner... You're delighted? You think there's going, going to be a landslide uh, if it's Hillary versus Donald Trump? Maybe. But you don't know that. And you ought to be uh, real goddamn careful about what you wish for. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your broadcast. <laughs> Well, Barack Obama is not yet free of the White House, but he's getting close. I think he's only about nine months away from from being done, and uh, and that came through a little bit, wouldn't you say, Desi Doyen, during oh, yeah. his uh, commentary uh, at the White House Correspondents Dinner over the weekend? Oh, yeah. Uh, and he's always really good at this. He's, he's always very funny. He's always very good. Uh, but he, he he seemed to be especially enjoying himself uh, <laughs> over the weekend in, in his comments. Uh, so let's uh, I, I I think I've yelled I've quite yelled at people enough on today's broadcast. <laughs> so for today I'll be back yelling at you again tomorrow. Don't you worry. Uh, but let's uh, let's have a few a few maybe a laughs from uh, from Barack Obama's. Speech at the White House Correspondents' Dinner in Washington, D.C. on Saturday.
0: You all look great. The end of the republic has never looked better. (laughs) If this material works well, I'm going to use it at Goldman Sachs next year.
1: Hillary burn there. I Earn me
0: some serious tubments. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Next year at this time, someone else will be standing here in this very spot, and it's anyone's guess who she will be. but <laughs> What's he saying? But standing here, I can't help but be reflective, a little sentimental. Eight years ago, I said it was time to change the tone of our politics. In hindsight, I clearly should have been more specific. (laughs) Eight years ago, I was a young man, full of idealism and vigor. And look at me now. I am gray grizzled, just counting down the days till my death panel. (laughs) It's funny. It's funny. I won't lie. Look, this is a tough transition. It's hard. Key staff are now starting to leave the White House. Even reporters have left me. Savannah Guthrie, she's left the White House press corps to host the Today Show. Nora O'Donnell left the briefing room to host CBS This Morning. Jake Tapper left journalism to join CNN. He's so mean.
1: Poor Jake. Tapper slam. Tapper slam. Jake's the only good uh, journalist out there. Election season. Man.
0: For example, we've got the bright new face of the Democratic Party here tonight, Mr. Bernie Sanders. Bernie, you look like a million bucks. Or to put it in terms you'll understand, you look like 37,000 donations of $27 each. (laughs) I've said how much I admire Hillary's toughness, her smarts, her her policy chops, her experience. You've got to admit it though. Hillary trying to appeal to young voters is a little bit like your relative who just signed up for Facebook. (laughs) Dear America, Did you get my poke? Is it appearing on your wall? I'm not sure I'm using this right. Love, and Hillary. Oh,
2: that is also so mean.
0: It's not entirely persuasive. Meanwhile, on the Republican side, things are a little more, how shall we say this, a little more loose. Just look at the confusion over the invitations to tonight's dinner. Guests were asked to check whether they wanted steak or fish. But instead, a whole bunch of you wrote in Paul Ryan. (laughs) That's not an option, people. Steak or fish. (laughs) You may not like steak or fish but that's your choice. (laughs) Meanwhile, some candidates aren't polling high enough to qualify for their own joke tonight.
1: Uh, Kasich slam there, John Kasich slam, I I suspect.
0: (laughs) The rules were well-established ahead of time. And then there's Ted Cruz. Ted had a tough week. He went to Indiana, Hoosier country, stood on a basketball court and called the hoop a basketball ring. What else is in his lexicon? Baseball sticks, (laughs) football hats, (laughs) but sure, I'm the foreign one. (laughs) Well, let me conclude tonight on a more serious note. Uh, The free press is central to our democracy and, now nah, I'm just kidding. You know I've got to talk about Trump. Come on.
1: There's a kidding about the free press. Mm. <laughs> mm.
0: The Republican establishment is incredulous that he's their most likely nominee. Incredulous, shocking. They say Donald lacks the foreign policy experience to be president. But in fairness, he has spent years meeting with leaders from around the world. Miss Sweden, (laughs) Miss Argentina, (laughs) Miss Azerbaijan. (laughs) And there's one area where Donald's experience could be invaluable, and that's closing Guantanamo. Because Trump knows a thing or two about running waterfront properties into the ground. I want to show some restraint, because I think we can all agree that from the start, he's gotten the appropriate amount of coverage befitting the seriousness of his candidacy. I hope you all are proud of yourselves. The guy wanted to give his hotel business a boost, and now we're praying that Cleveland makes it through July. Mm,
1: Indeed we are. That was uh, the president speaking at his eighth and final White House correspondent dinner uh, over the weekend.
2: I'm going to miss that.
1: Uh, are you? I
2: think so. Well, I think he's really good and I'm going to miss having somebody who's really good be doing that.
1: Well, if you think you're going to miss that, just wait for next year. Donald Trump will be hilarious at the White House Correspondents <laughs> Dinner. He's actually pretty funny, too, you know. Just saying. Don't make that face. He is. Yeah, I know. Eek. But uh, he's funny. So when the entire republic uh, crumbles after Donald Trump uh, wins this November, at least we can look forward to a laugh at the White House correspondence so dinner. So hilarious. Not everyone was uh, backslapping, however, uh, at the White House correspondence dinner over the weekend which is in many ways appalling, uh the way these elected officials gather with the media that is supposed to be covering them adversarially as I mentioned earlier in the show. Uh it, it wasn't all uh fun and uh, and chuckles apparently. There was an incident. Did you hear about this? No. An incident at the MSNBC party. Uh, that was held uh, afterwards, Uh, a a scuffle broke out. Punches were apparently thrown.
2: Fisticuffs.
1: Fisticuffs, indeed. Uh, Remember Ryan Grimm? We had him on just last week, I think, on this program. He's uh, Huffington Post's uh, Washington uh, chief Senior. correspondent. Yes. Is, yeah, um, uh, he got into a fight. Apparently, he ran into this uh, this jerk Jesse Waters, who works for Fox News. Waters is the guy. If you ever watch Fox News, he go out goes out and ambush uh, ambushes uh, all sorts of people, getting them on camera. People who aren't ready to be on camera, trying to make them look stupid. Basically, uh, something that we don't do here. We would never do here. Uh, And he did this back in uh, 2009 to a uh, to a writer uh, by the name of Amanda Turkle, Turkle, uh, who is now at Huffington Post, a colleague of Ryan Grimm's Uh, and Turkle ended up uh, writing an account of the incident headlined. I was followed, harassed and ambushed by Bill O'Reilly's producer. That's what Jesse Waters used to be. Now he's uh, actually a, a personality on Fox News rewarded for all his harassment of of citizens, of people who have no idea they're going to be on camera and are made to look stupid. Well, uh, Ryan Grimm decided to give Waters a taste of his own medicine, uh, according to The Washington Post. They ran into each other at the at this MSNBC party. Ryan Grimm whipped out his camera phone and started filming Jesse Waters. Waters apparently did not take this well. He snatched the phone away from Grimm. Ooh. He put it in his pocket and. Then Grimm tried to get it back. A scuffle ensued. One witness said punches were definitely thrown. Before any damage was done, several bystanders, including Republican National Committee executive director Sean Spicer, separated the two. So Sean Spicer was at the uh, at the MSNBC party. Waters could not immediately be uh, reached for comment, according to the Washington Post. But Grimm was unrepentant, said that uh, ambush guy, quote, ambush guy can't take getting ambushed. Maybe he should think about his life choices.
2: He can dish it out, but he can't take it.
1: Apparently so. Uh, there you go. All right. We will be back with you. Same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Until then, my thanks today to Desi Doyen, our producer, to Cynthia Cohn, our booking goddess, and to all of you who spent a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated, including those folks who stopped by Bradblog.com dot com slash donate. We respond to you not to the corporations that CNN, MSNBC, and yes, even Huffington Post respond to. If you have any uh, uh, questions, thoughts, concerns, complaints about our program, you can drop me an email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. You can also find me on the Twitters where I am the TheBradBlog. Use hashtag Bradcast. Make it easier for everyone else to find. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime along with all of our other programs ever made at bradblog.com and over at iTunes, where we hope you'll leave us a good review. All right, until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.